Welcome to No Particular Hurry. I'm your host, Dave Early. Today's guest is someone every Sixers fan should know. He's a multifaceted jack-of-all-trades. He hosts the Cookies Hoops podcast. He helps make some of the funnest Sixers clothing and gear. He's a reporter who has written hundreds and hundreds of articles for the New York Times and for Grantland and The Ringer. You're listening to this podcast, so you probably know him best as the dude who embedded himself and reported the curious case of Brian Colangelo and the secret Twitter account, the article which eventually led directly to former Sixers president Brian Colangelo resigning. For a reporter to insert himself with some detective work and break a story like that that led to the president of a major American sports team resigning from that position is still so mind-blowing. It feels like lifetimes ago, even though it was only a couple of years ago. Um, brings up just so many themes from stuff like you know, player privacy, medical ethics, social media. It's still a big deal. But beyond all that, this person is a very creative thinker and has lots of really exciting basketball ideas um, and some hot takes too. So this should be a lot of fun. Without further ado, let's welcome to the pod, Ben Dietrich. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing pretty good, Dave. Glad to be here. And uh, so you're getting you're getting to play some hoops. I think you, I saw you tweeted you played in a pickup game. I did play outdoors, and I know that they're opening gyms up again, maybe at specific capacities. So I guess there's now a possibility for playing indoors that there has not been previously. But I have not done that yet. I've been you know going back to my asphalt roots, if you will. What was the game like? Was it five on five? It was no fives. It was fives. I was playing out in Queens with a few friends and it was from a buddy's basketball team. So it was 10 grown adults playing and a lot of them were doctors. So it gave it like a veneer of, of safety that right. if doctors were willing to play ball outside, then who am I? To See, be I talked to, I talked to my brother about this, who got invited to a doctor's football game. And he, he, we feel it goes both ways. Cause for one, Yes, they know more than everyone else, but two, they're also kind of like that front lines mentality. They're a little bit fearless. I think that's probably fair to say, but <laughs> but I really wanted to play some basketball. So yeah, I don't blame you. I went I and did it. it, and it was double rims and very windy. I definitely got up some air balls, like more than I've shot probably in a long time. Like in organized runs, uh, you just kind of shrug. Like, sorry guys, I'm gonna airball it again though. So, so you shoot because I think a lot of us assumed that you, maybe you model your game after Ben Simmons. <laughs> uh, I don't take mid range jumpers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah how how has your personal game changed as your understanding of analytics has grown? You know, there's a couple things here, and that's a really good question. I think about it a lot. And one was that I read that Michael Lewis article in the New York Times a long time ago, and it was about oh, Iverson. And no, this was about Shane Battier, and it was oh called... yeah, yeah, the, the No Analytics All Star. Exactly, and, and that really changed the way that I played, especially defensively, where I stopped trying to block shots and I would just kind of put a hand in someone's face and box them out and avoid fouling, make them go to their weak hand and try to shoot a mid-range jumper, and like I just changed my defense completely after reading that article. Wow. Offensively, though, it was really getting older and, and losing athleticism and the ability to jump and get in the air and do fun athletic things. And 
still playing with people who are pretty good and pretty young and deciding I need to kind of be Shane Battier for real. I need to chuck threes and try to play some team defense. <laughs> See, I miss that. We we played for maybe five or six years, but that was when I could run and jump well too. <laughs> and now I only shoot. Yeah, I think you. the beauty of basketball is that your game can evolve as you get older. And it doesn't mean that you're as good as you once were, but you can still find a role. You can be effective. You know, if you can knock down an open three and space the floor and get back on defense, you're probably helping your team win more than guys who are better than you. Yes. Yes. Without without being a very, like, noticeable guy. I mean, look, this is the theory I'm operating under. I'm not saying it's accurate, but it's how I gauge my own value. Knock down a three, hustle back on defense. Win games, baby. We don't have to in pickup. You don't have to worry about not fouling either. You can just take a foul. See, that's why metrics are different, though, and I think that's also why people sometimes misunderstand the NBA because the NBA is not basketball. I mean, it is, but it's not basketball in the sense of just the sport. It is a specific kind of basketball played with a specific rules. To your point that you just said, outdoors there's no foul shots. You can hack people. There's no real advantage to drawing a foul no. in pickup ball. It's a disadvantage. You know, as a bigger dude, you get the ball inside, a little guy will wrap you up. And they're like, sorry, man, you know, I had to. Mm-hmm. Like, like, well, what am I supposed to do? Instead of getting a layup, we just check the ball? Yeah. Can I clothesline you if you like <laughs> dribble between my legs and just <laughs> check ball? Have you ever done that? Have you ever just clocked someone? No, no, because I, I play morally. I play with ethics, my friend ethics yes but but the point being that when you look at james harden like well all he can do is you know draw fouls he just takes threes like this is the game these are the rules he's not playing outdoors so stop hating on harden hell no harden's great yeah i i feel bad i I defend him all the time but he's playing (laughs) so badly right now look that's a tough defensive team they're going against and the lakers are targeting him with a double on virtually every single possession. I, I, it's not easy to score against an elite defense when you're being double teamed. And that's why, you know, I was disappointed to see some of those Rockets players turning down open threes that they normally take yesterday. I, they felt like they were kind of pressing a bit. There's guys who should have been letting it fly, like our boy Rocco. And I felt that they, they, they seemed a little hesitant. You certainly miss him, huh? Miss him in Philly? Yeah, I mean, he he's pretty much the ideal fit next to Joe and Ben outside of say Jimmy Butler. Like they've they've had their shot at guys who were ideal. They had to have either Covington or Butler. And if you're losing Covington, maybe they maybe they undervalued him. Maybe they didn't realize how big that would be. Well, I think they painted themselves into a corner a little bit because if you had handled your resources better, you probably could have gotten butler without surrendering covington in that deal but where they were they didn't really have someone of value that you could have pitched in with dario to make that deal work and have minnesota able to look at themselves in the mirror you know if you could give jeremy grant in a first rounder along with dario now you're talking the ability to keep butler and covington together so i know you're a fan of either of these guys who's better nerlens or jeremy uh, I, I would say Jeremy. He can he can shoot threes at a rate that seems very foreign to what he was able to do 
in at Syracuse when I was also a big fan of Jeremy and early in his Sixers career, but also the fact that he can play the four and the five. And without getting too in the weeds on a Jeremy Grant conversation, to me, he seems like someone who should opt out of his contract this offseason and get 15 million bucks and be someone's mini Giannis. Like you just put him in at the four somewhere and you can run that that Milwaukee defense, clog the paint, have a mobile rim protector with your actual center, and you'll have like a top 10 defense. Wasn't like, he, no sweat. Wasn't he the, the poster boy for a team-friendly deal? Like he signed the Hinky special and like KJ McDaniels did not. And that burned Grant because he, he turned out to be pretty good and didn't make a lot of money those early years. I'd like yeah, to see his, him get paid. Same. In his deal with OKC was decent. I want to say he makes about eight a year. Yeah. But I, I think he will be on pace to get about 15, especially after the Bucks success. It's a lot easier to just say, let's throw a rim protecting four into the mix and worry about other stuff than say, how do we like change the complexity of our defense overall? Like, all right, cool. Jeremy, just run around and Giannis things. Try to run in the paint and swat a shot every now and then, grab some rebounds, and like it'll work. Jay Rich or Jeremy, who would you rather have? I'd rather have Jeremy Grant than Tobias Harris. And I'd I'd rather pay Jeremy Grant $35 million than Tobias Harris at $35 million. Yeah, that's an indictment, man. That's an indictment. I think Tobias is good, but we're talking about a specific fit. We're talking about guys who have to be next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I think Tobias is okay with them. He's all right, but I think Jeremy is kind of perfect. I think Covington is perfect. I thought Jimmy Butler was perfect. I think they've had some good options, and they've settled on ones that are less so. Yeah. You think the best option would have been to run it back? For sure. You know, you you go back and you look at the lineups that the Sixers have assembled. 2018 had the best starting lineup in the NBA by net rating. 2019, I think it was third after the All-Star break, right after the Raptors and the uh, Hamptons Five Warriors. So, like, good company. It was also the best in the postseason, despite the fact that they lost to the Raptors. Have you come around on Reddick? I know at some times you didn't want him back. Reddick was a defensive vulnerability that I think is hard to make up for against a really good team. And we saw how intensely he was targeted by the Raptors. And I, I believe the defensive on and off with him on the court was just insane. I think you would have rather had, say, James Ennis on the floor with him. But I did underestimate the value of someone who really, really, really wants to shoot threes. And and his willingness to sprint everywhere for them. Yeah, his his impact on the offense in terms of spacing and gravity and causing fear from the defense, but also just catch and shoot, catch and shoot, and like dying to do that. You know, you're a really good shooter. You know, when you're balling and like you know you want to get shots off you know that feeling yeah and you're like i need the ball i this this shot is going up i need to get it yeah for me it was more like 10 feet for him it was like 30 (laughs) (laughs) but you know you need those guys who are dying dying to kill an opponent with threes yeah and covington wants to do that and reddick wanted to do that and dario wanted to do that and you look at that team in 2018, that's not the most skilled set of guys. There wasn't even a real ball handling guard on the entire starting lineup, but they had the best net rating in the entire NBA. Joe, Speak- 
Ben Speaking of that team, have you have you guys over at Cookies considered the or hear me out on this because I might mm-hmm. buy it. <laughs> it's a shirt, Simpson style faces. You got Corkmaz, Bellinelli, <laughs> Ilyasova, JJ with huge, huge collars. <laughs> have not considered that. I'll have to run that by the interns. Yeah, run it by the interns. See if uh, see if I can get a royalty if it sells. <laughs> so, do you have? All right, I recently heard Zach Lowe say that Brett Brown outcoached Nick Nurse that series. Do you have a eulogy for Brett? Uh, I would agree with Zach. I don't think it was close. I think Brett Brown coached circles around him. And that goes back to the stat that I was just mentioning. 2019 playoffs, the Sixers starters had a net rating of, I want to say, plus 24. Plus 24. No other starting lineup, no other five-man lineup in the NBA that played more than like 100, 150 minutes, whatever it is, was better than plus 16. Maybe it was even plus 14. They were dominant, dominant. That series, go back and look at all the plus minuses. It's, it's, it's hysterical. Greg Monroe comes in. <laughs> um, you know, Boban comes in. Just look at all those guys who came in and just ruined What did things. you call them? You called them uh, post-oriented sloths who smother Simmons. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, yeah, those guys. Those are the ones. <laughs> but the Bobons, the Greg Monroe's, Amir Johnson's, it's just nuts. Yes. Who they... the Sixers would bring in. I mean, game seven, I feel every single Sixers starter had a, had a positive plus minus. Every Raptors starter had a negative one. They lost that game. Yeah. So you don't think they should have fired Brett? I think Brett was the only person in the organization who deserved to keep his job. You know, I, I don't really buy into the idea that people tuned him out. Who? Who? Al Horford, who was there for a year? Josh Richardson, who was there for a year? Tobias Harris, who was there for a year and change? Like, what, they had tired of him? So what are we talking about? There's only two guys on the entire roster who've been there a while with him. And I don't know how Ben and Joe feel about Brett Brown, but they're the only two ones who matter. So the idea that, what, Trey Burke should have played more? Fuck Trey Burke. You know, I don't know if I'm allowed to curse, but I, you I can curse. I I, I I thought Trey Burke. Could have we played do more have too. A, we do have a lot of Trey Burke stands who listen. Look, I think Trey Burke was a solid player. I I liked what he did for the Sixers. Brett Brown not using him more is not like a fireable offense. Oh, Trey Burke, that's not what this is about, man. You know, the things people would point to would be. Uh, Brett calling out Ben for not shooting, tell his agent, and Joel not stumping for him this time around. Hey, I'm not the GM. I don't make – so maybe, you know, I think it was um, your own Weitzman who suggested maybe their his voice stopped mattering to them. Maybe, except for the fact that they were both great. You know, this this to me is the fundamental problem with discussions about the Sixers, is that fans – media, even the organization itself, seemingly, do not understand how good Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are. They are superstars. They're not pretty good. It's not one of them is good and one of them is okay. They're both ridiculously good. Their impact on a game is outsized. And when you look around the NBA, I see guys like Giannis, LeBron, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Doncic, Curry, Durant, Kawhi Leonard, that's the group, right? They're the guys whose imprint on a game is enormous. 
And I think Joel and Ben are both in that group. Maybe I've not heard, at the top. I've recently heard some guys at the time, some guys at the Athletics suggesting maybe they're just stars, not superstars. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. I know <laughs> I'm saying straight up. It, they don't know what they're seeing. And I think that's a problem with a lot of the discussions about these guys. People don't know what they're looking at. You know, people will see Jamal Murray and say, well, see, this is what the Sixers need. A guy who can score 50 points in a game. That That's, that's what they're missing. Nah, man. What you want is guys who make huge contributions on both sides of the ball day in and day out. That's that's what separates an actual superstar from someone who's good. And I don't even put Jimmy Butler or Paul George or Kemba or Kyrie in the same group because Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are two of the best defensive players in the entire NBA. That's what gets lost in this conversation. They are both defensive player of the year candidates on an annual basis now. That's crazy. How good is Ben? Rank him overall in the league. Top 15, top 10, top 5? I think this year he's top 10. I think with Curry and Durant back, you know, that changes the numbers a bit. I mean, I think Kyrie is a fantastic basketball player who has some foibles, but is certainly incredibly gifted. That might change things. But in general, I think Ben is a top 15 player who this season was top 10. I mean... What about Joel? Who's better? I mean, that's a tough question because it's hard to have the impact of a rim protector, but it's hard to run an offense through the post. I think I kind of just view them the same. I think Ben is the most important player on that team because he is the difference maker in terms of creating shots for teammates. He's the versatile defender. But I also think that you can kind of stick anyone around Joel and you'll probably be fine because he can just give you a bunch of buckets in the paint. He puts the other team in foul trouble. He's good in the half court and he protects the rim. Like, I don't know. I, I, it's very hard for me to say one is better than the other because they're both in this group to me. It's like saying, is Anthony Davis better than Joel Embiid? I don't know. They're, they're in that group. They're, they're, they're both fantastic. They're close in a tier. You, so you've been on the Ben is not a point guard train for, for years now. You know, you've called him a phenomenal transition player, a point forward, I think, power forward. Do you, why do you think that the Sixers just seemingly haven't been able to figure that out? Do you think it's on the team, the coaching staff, the analytics department who supposedly offers prescriptions to Brett? Or do you think it was on Ben who just wanted to be a point guard? It's weird, right? Because... It wasn't supposed to be like this. They drafted Markel Fultz, and he was going to be the one. You had Redick on that team, who was the two. You had Covington, who was the three. Ben at the four. Joe at the five. That made total sense. When they had summer league teams, Joe was playing the four. When Markel Fultz went down and they brought your guy, the god, Jared Bayless, into the starting lineup. My guy. (laughs) Your dude. When they brought him into the starting lineup, it was going to be Bayless, Reddick, Covington, Simmons, and B. Like, this was the plan. He was always a four. But because Bayless got hurt, they were forced to put Dario into the starting lineup. And then they just said, well, someone of these guys has got to be the point guard. It's Ben. And since then, they just kept using that exact same dynamic. Something got weirdly lost, and there was a disconnect. You said, and they you just said pretended. when they put Dario in there, it went from a quirk to a fetish, their size thing. Yeah, yeah, it, it might have. I mean, no shaming. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, yeah, they, but, they yeah. just keep getting bigger and bigger. But they made that decision and seemingly just decided that that was what Ben's position was. It, it was very odd to me because he, at no point in his career he, had he ever been considered a traditional point guard. He was modeled after LeBron or, or Draymond Green or Giannis. There was any number of examples of large lads who are almost seven feet tall, who are gifted at passing and ball handling, and no one ever pretends that they are like, quote, point guards. So I don't know that I think the error was made there. And then because there was such a lack of, I guess, experience and worldview and perspective in the front office, they just kind of settled on it. You know, there was no Sam Hinkie there to say, wait, guys, no, it, there was no voices. Who was going to who was going to fix it? I mean, it should have been possible? Brett Brown. <laughs> yeah, maybe he tried. I mean, maybe but it was someone was Yeah, but I'll also say this. It doesn't matter what you call Ben Simmons because he shouldn't change the way he plays. So even late in the season when they were like, okay, have him go in the post and have Shake bring it up. I'm not even down with that. I don't even think that's what they should be doing. I think it's more a personnel thing. You know, just don't consider him a guard and consider him a power forward and then put a guard on the floor. It doesn't mean he has to play like a power forward. Just do what he's doing. You know, everything that Ben and Joe do is fantastic. That's really the one thing I want to emphasize here, Dave. These guys are great. They are great. And I think it's unfair that Sixers fans are so critical of two guys who are in their early 20s, would have both won Rookie of the Year if Joe had played more games, still should have won Rookie of the Year. It's really the opposite of Knicks fans, isn't it? Who... (laughs) We're wondering if they could get, you know, Giannis for Mitchell Robinson. Right? I mean, we have these guys have five all-star appearances between them. They've been part of the best lineups in the NBA from like day one. And yet people hate them. People criticize them. And that's why I became such a, a, you know, feverish supporter of Ben Simmons was because people were hating on this guy who's clearly fantastic. He's clearly a wonderful, gifted basketball genius. And everyone's like, he sucks, you know, trade him for, you know, Fournier. All right. Tell tell me about this take. Here's what you wrote, I guess, uh, January, 2019. Thankfully, there's a more progressive position to embrace. Simmons doesn't need to shoot a three or take jumpers ever. Furthermore, his improvement in that area has little bearing on his fit and Philly and does not significantly lower the ceiling of a franchise with championship aspirations. I got like three texts when you wrote that. Yo, tell your boy it does lower the ceiling. He does need to shoot. So is this take, is it born from a pessimism that he never will be able to shoot? Because surely you admit if he could stick one out of three attempts a game, that could help. Well, I don't agree with that. Okay. I don't agree that him shooting 33% from three would help at all. What about 36%? Yeah, that would help. But like, I don't think that he'll get there. Okay. so And I also still am not sure that 36% helps that much. Because what volume, volume are we talking about? You know, there's a, a, a... I'm trying to think of the best way of phrasing this. Mm-hmm. There's an understanding of spacing that has become conventional wisdom that I think is kind of off. And it's that if a guy shoots a certain percentage, then he spaces the floor. And that's not true. That's not how basketball works. And you know this from playing ball. If there's a guy on the other team who makes a three every now and then, 
but it allows you to run around and double team wherever you want. You will let that guy take as many as he wants. So like the impact of Ben Simmons making 36% of his threes and the other team letting him do that and him standing in the corner waiting to get a pass while his man is just freelancing, you know, gumming up the works. That's not a net win for the Sixers. We used to play ones and twos. I shouldn't have even let him shoot it. (laughs) It's twice as many. But, you know, I think this idea that everyone needs to shoot, who believes that? Like Sixers fans are just, what, mega progressive that they believe in an NBA where every single player on the court needs to be able to shoot threes? Look at the Heat. Jimmy Butler did not shoot threes this year. Bam, does not shoot threes. Made two, I believe. The same as Ben Simmons. Tops, what, seven offense? Giannis, best record in the NBA. Giannis can't shoot for shit. He's a functional non-shooter. Zion, functional non-shooter. Westbrook, functional non-shooter. Gobert, obviously a very different position. Functional non-shooter. Yeah. They're all over the place. Look at the All-Star game. There's like six dudes, seven guys on the team who can't shoot at all, or at least not enough to be respected. I, I just don't get the idea that everyone on the court needs to shoot. I, it's it's bizarre to me because that's never been the case at any level of basketball that you need five shooters. Give me, give me Joel Bent three Damari Carrolls and I'll beat the brakes off you. Is that what you said? Go look okay. at the numbers. Explain this take. I mean, okay, okay. This this to me kind of goes back to my initial point that I was really trying to emphasize about respect these guys and how good they are, and that was why last night I was watching the Lakers and like, come on, man, you have two superstars. This is all you need a Danny green and a Caruso. Just give me some guys who will stick an open three. They could have had those guys last year. For sure. Absolutely. That's all they need. They're so good. You know, the Sixers have a democracy problem where you have these guys who do all the hard stuff. Simmons and MB do all the hard stuff. That's why they are superstars. They give you 40 plus points a night on like 60 true shooting percentage. They rebound, they defend, they're disruptive, they protect the rim, they're good in transition, they're good in the half court, you know, depending on the guy. They do all the hard stuff. That's the things that you can't just go and get. You can't just go and get people to do what Simmons and Embiid are capable of and do on a nightly basis. You can't, they're not acquirable. You can't, can't get it. They're literally not available in any way, shape or form. What you can get is dudes who can stand there and knock down threes. What you can get is a guy who can handle the ball in the half court. And that's all you got to do is fill in the blanks. What is it too late now? Can they get that for a Horford or a Tobias? Well, this is the the heart of my, my tweet there was that just put, just put Horford on the bench. Who cares? Is he overpriced as a backup center? Sure. Who cares? Just eat it. Eat it. Joel is going to miss games. He always does. You want to give him rest. Horford's yeah, going to start those ideally. games. If you look at Horford's numbers, when he was on the floor with, uh, with uh, Simmons and not Embiid, his numbers were virtually the same as in Boston. Put up something like 17 and 8. Even in the playoffs, when we were roasting Horford, look at his per 36 minutes when Embiid was off the floor. He put up like 14 and 14 or something. Horford's good. He's the third best player on Philly. He just can't coexist with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. But he can coexist with Ben when Joel is out. So, yeah, just eat that contract. Let that go. You know, I think Harris is okay. He he is he's one of the worst kind of fits you could get with Simmons and Embiid, 
which is why I always thought it was mystifying that people preferred him to Butler because he's not a passer. He can't break people down off the dribble and create. He's not a willing three-point shooter. Nothing about Harris's game works at all with Simmons and Embiid. He's not a versatile defender, but he's still good enough to make it work. I think you got to get rid of Josh Richardson. Like, good player, he's valuable, but you can't have him thinking he can handle the ball in the half court. You have to give him to a team like the Nets, where he can just be a 3 and D guy. Do you, you think know? they could get Dinwiddie straight up for him? To me, that's kind of a good trade for both teams. You know, I don't think Lonzo Ball would be available just straight up. Not straight but, up, but I would pay a little extra for Ball. I'd throw in the 21 with, with Josh for, for Lonzo. If, yeah, I think there's some hidden upside there. Yeah, the Pelicans might be a little leery of, of paying him, as the Sixers might as well, but whatever. I don't care about their money. It'd be but yeah, for them too with his bird rights though, right? Yeah. Well, that's why you know, you'd want to acquire him. But you know, going back to the point about Damari Carroll's, if you look at the lineups, I mean, the numbers are there. You know, We can all go to cleaning the glass and whatnot, NBA Wowie. You can look at the numbers. If you put JJ, Ennis, Scott, any of these guys, even, you know, when they had, you know, Colangelo's foreign shooters, you know, you put those guys around Simmons and Embiid, the offense is crazy. That's why, like, all the criticism about the Sixers, oh, it doesn't work offensively. I'm like, it does. Go and look at the numbers. All you have to do is put a Covington and a Redick, just some shooters and three and D dudes like James Ennis and those two guys tore it up. <laughs> just give them some shooters, man. It's just so easy. They That's carried, why I'm like carried an empty roster spot for a couple <laughs> months when Danwell house was available. That's all I'm like. That's what I mean to fix this team. Sure. I'll trade Josh Richardson for anything. I'll put Horford on the bench and I'll go and find two guys off the scrap heap who are willing to shoot threes and can defend a little bit. Like they're out there. Like Wesley Matthews started, you know, for Milwaukee all year. All you need is the guys who are willing to do what Wesley Matthews does. Too bad he didn't want to come here. Yeah. I'll I'll admit being wrong on that one. I was like, no, no, no. He's washed. He was, he was totally good for them. And, And I also have a lot of respect for the bucks, you know, with, Brooke Lopez with DiVincenzo. They did a good job filling in the blanks, but that's exactly why the Sixers need a real GM. You need they someone. Turned, who- uh, they turned uh, Brooke's career around, really. He was never seen as like a great defender. Well, it'll be weird to see if the Bucks pony up to keep him because he is obviously the key component to that defense with all due respect to, to Giannis winning defensive player of the year. It doesn't work. The interns really stump hard on this issue. Yeah. I mean, I... Interns. I, of course. I mean, I honestly don't really view Giannis as like a top 15 defender. I think he's fine. I think he's he's got a unique skill that really works in their system. But I don't see that process offensively or defensively, like Coach Bud's kind of gimmick defense working without Brooke. So I think they kind of have to pay him. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate 
in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Now, how do you resolve, don't hate on Harden, he's just playing the game, but it's a gimmick defense. Isn't their defense just work? Should someone else try it? I'm worried that that's going to happen. Yeah. The Raptors kind of do it to an extent, don't they? They offer tons of threes. Yeah, yeah. The second most in the NBA. You know, that that's definitely what's going to happen in the near future is that teams will get guys like Jeremy Grant. I think, uh, you know, Christian Wood, just to name some other former Sixers. Sixers. There's some There's some rim-protecting fours who are mobile enough that they can – you know, close out on shooters and still scramble back in the lane. Rashawn. That, I mean, Rashawn, maybe, but I think you kind of have, he doesn't shoot well enough. No. Uh, you know, he's I, got I, this, he's got this kind of nasty push shot. Have you seen it? This I know. Year? Is it this, is it the same one as he always had or he's changed it? Well, he's better at it now and he does it much more willingly, but it's still like a, a standing still floater from like 10 <laughs> feet. You know, I, I think that we've seen the last days of the Ursan Ilyasova stretch fours. I think that's a wrap. You know, there will be teams who still look at those guys, but they're not being progressive. The teams that are looking forward are the Raptors and the Bucks, and they're seeing exactly what we've watched Kevin in Knox. the playoffs. <laughs> exactly. But like OG and Giannis. Oh, he's so good. Those are the guys who can shoot well enough that they can actually spread the floor but they can rim protect from the four. I, I think we're going to have like a weird nineties resurgence in the power forward position, which has been kind of forgotten as now a, a really key part of your defense, because there's a lot of redundancy at the five. Now everybody's a rim protector. No one really posts up. Elton brand is conducting the orchestra now. I mean, this is also why I'm like, I'd rather have Jeremy Grant than Tobias because Tobias doesn't, do either of those things. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's transition a little bit to what we learned from Elton's press conference or didn't learn. I know you've, you've tweeted it, but at times like Elton brand doesn't really make tons of decisions, but you also had an, a maybe off brand reaction to Elton's press conference with some optimism that they might collaborate less. He talked about the collaboration days didn't work so well. He talked about how Scott O'Neill specifically doesn't meddle on the basketball side. And you you took away that they might actually hire a, an elite candidate. Well, let me, let me temper this optimism a little bit. Okay. It was that I think he said the right things. That doesn't mean that they're going to do the right things. I think he said the right things. If I was listening for specific points, it would be the things that you just mentioned. Like, we're going to bring in some outside help. The people who are from the business side who are meddling in are not going to be doing that. The, Do you I think buy those it? are. Well, no. You think <laughs> I mean, he's just saying it, but it, nothing will change. 
Well, what's funny about the collaborative front office is that it doesn't really exist anymore, right? Because it sort of was convincing when you had these different factions. You had Eversley, who was a holdover from Colangelo, like, you know, his best dude. You had Brett Brown, who had the gravitas of being a survivor of multiple regimes. You had Elton, who was like the new guy and the sort of the conduit between players in the front office. And then you had Cohen, who no one really knows what he does, but he was an NBA guy. Like it kind of made sense that there were these different sort of competing groups that collaborated, right? But now you look at it you're like, well, how is this even a collaborative front office? It's just Rucker, who was a you know metrics consultant with Toronto. It's Cohen, who worked for the NBA. And it's Elton Brand, who has no functional experience and is a former player. Like, there's no longer like a collaborative group of minds in that same sense. So I don't know how they could possibly go into next season without bringing in someone else. I mean, they very well may do that. I just mean, functionally, you look at this and you're like, how does this even make sense as an NBA front office? It's a metrics consultant and two guys who have no experience. None of these guys came through an institution where they were doing scouting, where they were doing player personnel, where they were flying around to watch games in Europe. There's just no like basketball experience within the entire organization. Would that make you feel better about things moving forward if they did that? Like the Knicks went and got Aller from Cleveland. They're calling him a Capways and they got Walt Perrin from Utah. Do you think that they might do something like that and get a guy here, a guy there and say, these are our minds now? That to me seems like the likeliest option. Mm -hmm. I don't really believe, and I hope I'm wrong. I I don't really believe they'll go and hire, you know, Sachin Gupta or Mike Zarin. I don't think they'll do that. How how could they if the sell is you'll either be working under or over Elton Brand. Either way, you can't really pick your own staff. How could you get one of those top candidates? Yeah, I agree. I'm more saying I think it would have to be determined that, like, you're coming in and you're going to make the decisions. Like, Elton is going to be public-facing. He's going to be the person who explains them. He's involved but you're actually making the call, Mike Zarin, because you're qualified to do it, and Elton Brand is not. And the you money know, will take care of any power qualms you have. Yeah, because I think the biggest concern is that we're dealing with multiple meat shields here. Like, who's actually making the decisions? No one can adequately explain. Is Alex Rucker making decisions? Like, the buck stops with him? Does anyone really believe that? Because I don't. I what don't do believe you believe? Oh, I, I, I don't know. It's very mysterious. You know, it's like, well, is Ned Cohen the one making the call? Like, why would he? I don't think so. That That's right. So I'm just wondering, is this just ownership saying, we want to run a basketball team and we're going to put people in front of us to obscure that, but we're just running a team. I don't know. They've done a good job setting up a smoke screen where you have no clue who has accountability, who says yes or no to things, who's in the room. We, we don't know. Yeah, what, was Mark, think- what was Mark Eversley doing? Was he just sitting at a desk or was he involved in, in making calls on stuff? I, I, 
it's intentional. <laughs> like this is this is how they designed it, so we wouldn't have any idea. I my understanding was that he was one of their most basketball minds. And when I heard Elton Brand say we need more basketball minds, that he's missing a guy like that. When he looks around at his collaborative, he sees Rucker, the analytics guy. You know, he sees Cohen, who's maybe more on the business and finance side. And he's wondering, you know, who's my guy here who can who can do some scouting? Um, you could be. I'm right. not reporting. I, That's just you know some rumors I've heard. I just don't know what any of these guys think about anything, mm-hmm. and it's a little bit jarring to come from Sam Hankey, who, you know, he held certain cards close to his vest, but his worldview was obvious. You understood what he was doing and how he was building a team, and that he wanted violence at the rim. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. We we knew what he was trying to do, and Brett Brown was also pretty good at explaining what they were trying to do, you know. But at this point, I I, I don't know what their worldview is. What is the philosophy of the Sixers front office? It doesn't seem to jibe with anything we've seen. Nothing seems to be coherent. You know, it, it does look a lot like fantasy basketball. Oh, Al Horford. He can qualify. His first 36 that, is sick. So is Kyle yeah, Quinn's. You know, he can qualify at power forward. Okay, cool. Ben Simmons, he qualifies at point. Right. Cool. Um, well, Josh Richardson, you know, he dribbled a little in Miami. Even if it takes 10 minutes of looking at his clips to tell that he can't at all run a half-court offense. Yeah, he had some assists. And, oh, you know, Tobias, he shot 38% from three. And, you know, oh, so he'll take a bunch of threes. It, it just did not feel like anyone with any sort of – I don't know, like trying to think of the way, the right phrase. It's not too like vibey or like, you know, like boomer hearted, but it didn't feel like people understood what was happening on the court and were able to match that up with what numbers said. Yeah. Like nineties throwback, boomer, Oakley, Mason, Charles Smith. You wrote, uh, so you wrote the curious case of Brian Colangelo and the secret Twitter account. I always wondered why it wasn't plural. I don't write the headlines. <laughs> um, but after that happened and after Brian Colangelo resigned, you said you, you don't think that they even wanted to fire him. And certainly they've shown some trust and loyalty to this group that we've seen who are still not fired like two, three weeks after Brett Brown has been. Well, uh, well, I'll, I'll say it delicately. I mean, I, I know, I do know that certain members of the Sixers organization were fighting to keep him after that story came up. I know that as a fact. Some members are trying to keep Brian. Yeah. Af- after that story came up. I know, I know that. Besides and his dad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that, that was what was told to me by sources that I believe. Okay. But that's beside the point. Um, but to the second part, this feels like the playbook that they did last GM hunt, right? Where you're just biding time. You say some things that that people like. You maybe even in that case, you know, they did a couple interviews with people. Then they started making the job less enticing. And they started making it a collaborative front office where the GM hire won't actually have you know, yes or no rights. Like, well, that's not a good job. Then they pushed it past the draft. They pushed it past free agency. And I think that's what we're seeing here. They know that the longer they stall, 
if we get to the draft and we get to free agency, there's less urgency to hire someone. And it makes the job dramatically less attractive to someone who would be very qualified for this position. And that's what's sad to me. Just to tie everything into a bow that we've been talking about. I just think Ben and Joe are such incredible basketball talents and Philadelphia is so lucky to have them. And all it would take is someone who was good at their job to put the right pieces around them, not even another superstar. They don't even need a third superstar. They just need the right pieces that are complementing them. And Philly would be going to their second finals in a row. And that's the bummer is that I think we're going to have the same people making decisions who have been getting it wrong for more or less four years at this point. Yeah. So, all right, here's a couple. I pulled these out from the, uh, from the burner tweets. I think it's always interesting to try to get some insight from these. You must, this must have shaped a lot of your views on stuff, but here's one from still balling. Who, oh, oh, still balling. No, no other owner would have been conned the way Harris speak, meaning Josh was by SH meaning hinky. No other owner would have been conned the way he was. He was able to get away with as much BS and con job as he did because Josh Harris was not able to stand up to him. So now you personally witnessed how Harris could not have forced him to draft Okafer. If you were if you were in management and you read these tweets, wouldn't you kind of want to fire this guy? Because even if it's his wife, you think the opinion's still coming from him. I would agree. But there was so much loyalty shown that they. They wanted his staff. They wanted him. They, they even called it an all-star team. Might have no. been. <laughs> well, I mean, let me ask you that. Why do you think the Sixers have what seems to be inexplicable loyalty towards guys without a track record of success, guys without qualifications, and guys who have messed up badly over the last two years? Why would the Sixers, as an organization, be resistant at all? To bring right. in the most qualified person on the market. And there are a lot of good candidates out there. So if this were me, if it were my team, uh, well, first of all, it makes me think of how Isaiah Thomas and Steve Mills can make so many mistakes for so many years and still remain close to James Dolan and keep getting promotions. Uh, it's it's very weird. I don't really understand it. Um, but I have heard, and even the burners seem to corroborate the idea that management is very susceptible to persuasion. And once they're comfortable with someone, once that person has their ear, like maybe a Scott O'Neill, um, then they believe that person, they trust that person and they want them to stick it out because they like them. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's trust or belief in anyone's abilities as much as it could be power dynamics. You know, if you are Sixers ownership, if you are the people who have been part of this organization for a long time and have various you know, grips on power within it, do you want someone coming in who's going to clear house and then kind of cut you out of the loop decision-wise? I would say no. If I was in a position where I was, you know, running an NBA team, how cool would that be, Dave? You're running an NBA team. So fun. And, someone's, and someone says, you know, you've really been fucking up the last couple of years. You're like, you, hold on. Hold <laughs> on. I don't want to not be able to run an NBA team. I want to run an NBA team. You wouldn't get any credit fired, for it either. But I don't want to be fired. I don't want to have to go back to the NBA league offices and ask for a job. I, I'm running the Sixers. I'm running a contender. This is the coolest thing in the world. I will do anything 
anything to keep that job. I will fire Brett Brown. I will trade Ben Simmons. I will trade Joel Embiid. I will do anything to keep my job because I want to do it. I'm not going to willingly cede control of this team to like some nerd who's going to come in here like Sam Hankey did and like make moves that I disagree with. They certainly have that, you know, sort of relationship thing. Like if you dated someone who, who cheated on you, then you have to date someone the next time who's the most loyal and trustworthy person. And they did not have a collaborative GM, which makes some sense when you hear them say collaborative ever since Hinky was gone. Yeah. I, I just think there are other voices in the room than the ones who are technically at this point on the masthead for the front office. All right. Come, come down a weird road with me here. Let's, let's, let's go, Dave. Do you, do you think Adam Silver is a Sixers fan? Hear, hear me out on why. <laughs> let's let's say my former colleague, Scott O'Neill, comes in and he says, hey, look, we have a weird situation here. We'd love you to get on the phone with Josh Harris and help. I do that. I make some recommendations. Next thing you know, Scott has a big voice at the table. A former colleague of mine, Ned Cohen, has a seat at the table. Zach Sogolo is now a rising star in their executive office. I would be rooting for these guys, right? The Sixers are kind of like, a team I helped build. It's a weird dynamic because the owners of teams are the ones who install Adam Silver and the commissioner and, and they collectively create the league office. So it's a strange situation where you have a team that is seemingly run in part by the league office itself. And as you just mentioned, is full of employees who used to work for the NBA. Maybe it's not that easy to make a change and bring in someone who's going to get rid of a whole bunch of people who were highly regarded and used to work for the NBA. You think they could be tangled or potentially a combination of feeling tangled and also benefiting in some way? It's, how bad could it be to be in tight with the franchise you comprise? I mean, I'm not making any accusations here, I, but if you look Just around, like buddies having a chat, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but I'm saying, you know, the Sixers had marquee placements and and you know MLK games and Christmas Day games, as they should, because they're a really exciting young team. So they went from like zero or three TV games a year to like you know seventy. But they are they are a, a you know a must watch squad. Sure. So so that also would make sense. But, you know, they ended up with a very, very easy schedule in the bubble. You know, there are, there are some certain places where if someone wanted to go down that road to conspiracy with you, you could say maybe there is a higher power looking out for the Sixers in some situations. And if you're the owner of that team, maybe you could look and say, well, there is that benefit. And Not with that 2021 draft pick that they changed the high school year. <laughs> that wasn't that like that was, seems punitive right it did yeah it was like brett right? admitted we traded for this because it was the first year high school eligible and they were like well no not anymore and but now but brett was not their guy true no i'm saying this this actually fits into precisely the conspiratorial pathway that you are leading me down oh this is good. and that when they put brett in charge he made that move the sixers changed it Excuse me. The, the league said, nope, actually, that pick sucks. David Heller is often associated with that move, too. He's not in the organization either. No. 
And then when the Sixers went back to having the collaborative front office, all of a sudden the skies part, the sun comes down. <laughs> or the opposite. I, but. I'm not saying I, I specifically believe this stuff, but if someone felt like, you know, digging around, you might be able to come up with a couple examples of what seemed to be favorable treatment from, from the league office. Fascinating. And what, I mean, what, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I'm just not as, as pessimistic about the Sixers as a team basketball wise than everyone else seems to be. That's why I kind of have a sense of humor about all this stuff. Well, I'm like, if you just suck it up and hire someone good, this is very fixable. I just don't look at it as, you know, the process is dead. The Sixers are stuck. I disagree. You have two, in my opinion, of the top 10, 15 players in the league. You're not stuck at all. Look at the, look at what star power can do for you over in the Western Conference. Clippers, Lakers. That's it. They're the teams who are, they're, one of them is going to go to the finals and one of them will probably win it because they have two superstars. So what's stopping them from just saying, here's a truckload of money, Mike Zarin, Alan Simon, Bobby Webster, run this team, fix us. They would get credit for that, wouldn't they? That That is the question, isn't it? What exactly is stopping them from bringing in someone, giving that person autonomy and letting that person clean house? If you want to keep Belton, we prefer that. But if you just absolutely can't, fine, we get it. Give them some other role. Of course. G League. And I agree. What is possibly preventing them? And I think that's the biggest question. That is it possible that Elton is a rising fans. star, but he's just been straddled by weird collaborative apparatus? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I Again, I don't know what any of these guys think. I've listened to Elton on podcasts. I think when he was on Zach Lowe, maybe. I, I don't recall ever getting a real handle on his outlook. Their transaction history doesn't indicate that from anyone, whether it's Ned Cohen or Rucker or Josh Harris or Scott O'Neill or whoever is making the decisions. There's not any sort of unified worldview here. And, and what bugs me is is the repetition of bad ideas and bad and bad mistakes. You know, like selling second round draft picks. You know, when they do that annually, despite the fact that we know that it's a poor decision and they keep doing it, that makes me leery. It's of, it started of, and of ended with this. I if I go back and read some of your old tweets, which I was doing, so like. Elton Brand, to me, has become a symbol of someone else's mistakes almost. Like you go back to Jerry, Jerry Colangelo comes in and hires him. And then they give out two picks, one that became Malcolm Brogdon for Ish Smith to put in some vet mentors. And then Elton gets promoted and he's a rising star in the ranks. And now he's this guy. And he has some, if, if you read your old tweets, he comes to symbolize like, someone else's blunder and how it's hurt them, even though this might have nothing to do with him at all. From all accounts, Elton is a, you know, a, a great dude. Yeah. Smart guy. I, smart guy. I have never heard anyone say something bad about Elton Brand, but that's also why I think he was brought in. Like that's who you want. For, like you say, meat shield. You know, your, your bulletproof vest, uh, your, your Teflon. You want someone that everyone likes, that players respect, that, the media respects 
everyone respects Elton Brand for good reason. You know, he's a, a fabulous basketball player, you know, a, a really bright dude. He's great. Joel but, makes these pointed jokes. Didn't he say like, it's crazy. He's the GM now. I just played with him. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone really knows who's calling the shots other than people who are in those rooms or who work for the Sixers. I think this is fairly tightly guarded for, you know, intentional reasons. But I don't know. I, I wish I knew what Elton believed. I, I don't. I, I wish I could sit here and say, well, now things are going to change and they're going to, instead of selling second round draft picks for millions of dollars that go directly to the owners, they're going to, you know, stash some players. They're going to find some guys. They're going to flesh out, you know, their their roster with, you know, young guys with upside. I wish I knew what they were going to do. I, I wish they had a, a, a philosophy that made sense. But like, I just don't, I don't get what they're doing. <laughs> like, I, just, I don't know. All right. I got two more questions for you. Then I'll let you hop off. Um, one, what do you, th- how do you think Ben Simmons feels when Joel Embiid sort of pressures him to shoot more? You know, he, he'll say, Hey, I shoot more than I want to. We all need to buy into that. I heard him on JJ's Reddick's podcast the other day. He's saying, you know, and even Ben learned very late that if no one's on him, he can get you a, G- a DHO. It feels like condescending is probably too strong of a word, but he's always trying to coax Ben or pressure Ben to do something. How do you think Ben feels about that? And how do you think about their relationship? You know, I, I love Joel. He's super talented and I always feel the need to defend him when guys like Barkley or Shaq are, are criticizing him because M- Embiid gets it. He knows he can't just run down and set up in the post a million times in a row, you know, in the, in 2020. Just can't do that, you know. And Shaq is the last guy who's ever going to be able to play like Shaquille O'Neal because of rule changes. And they were made in part because of Shaq, <laughs> you know. But Embiid also can get trapped in, I think, a little of conventional wisdom, even though he is a subversive dude naturally. I think at times he'll talk about, I just need to dominate more. I, I just give me the ball and I'll do it. I got to carry Like, nah, man, you're doing your thing. You're fantastic. You're a wonderful, wonderful basketball player. You don't need to just dominate more. That's not a thing. It wasn't lost on me during the Toronto series where he was limited with injury that he wasn't a focal point of the offense. He, he yeah, anchored I mean, the D. He was a plus 89 for the series, and he didn't do a ton of post-ups. He scored 17 a game on 37% shooting against Toronto. He was bad, and it didn't matter yeah. because he was fantastic on defense, and that starting unit was so good. Their recipe you know? was right there for them. Yeah, so we'll just your, your question about you know Joel prodding Ben to shoot. Like, I, I get it. You know, he's subject to the same kind of ideology that everyone else is where they think that Ben needs to shoot. And I understand how people believe that because it dovetails conventional wisdom with the uncomfortable optics of watching a professional basketball player not want to shoot. But to what I was saying before, he's the only player in the NBA that seems to be held to this criteria. No one says it about Bam. No one says it about Gobert. No one says it about all these other guys who are functional non-shooters. But it's only Ben Simmons. He's the literally the only player in the NBA who gets criticized for not shooting threes. 
other than like DeMar DeRozan or something. But I, I, I don't get it. it. It seems to me that it is something that Joel is naturally going to pick up those same kind of, you know, vibes and he's going to voice opinions that may be in line with some of those ideas. I, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't, I don't get it. Like there have been fantastic non-shooter, like Tim Duncan couldn't shoot threes. Shaq couldn't shoot threes. Like there is a rich legacy of <laughs> phenomenal hall of fame, best player. Wilt Chamberlain couldn't shoot threes. Like whatever, man. Van Horn could. Yeah. And that's why he's the goat. <laughs> All right. I think I'm, I think I'm good. <laughs> That was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, man. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, if you want to plug anything, if you want to tell anyone about cookies or anything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, cookies Hoops, the world's most influential basketball podcast other than this one. That I'm <laughs> to right now. It's four listeners um, so far. Yeah, it's on it's on Patreon and uh, you can sign up for it or you can listen to them with a few days delay on spotify or itunes or wherever you get your your podcast and what about that that shirt we talked about could we get pasechnik on there too <laughs> there's also going to be a fake first rounder that's going to be a full back covering just the outline of a first round pick oh yeah vanished like a pyramid down to the trees of the two future seconds it becomes <laughs> yeah i'll rock it's that like the perfect pod <laughs> all right man thanks so much of course dude more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.